0: Okay, we just finally got word today that David Warren's uh, appeal is scheduled for uh, July 11th in the morning and our family is going to try and go and be there and be a prayer support for him and um just pray there's a 6% chance that the um the that the um request could be either overturned or uh, sent back to trial but 94% chance that it's upheld.
1: Is that based on past statistics? That's just
0: statistically. Right. So um, we just really pray that the Lord would um, exercise his sovereign mercies in this situation and um, help whatever the best outcome is.
1: Right. We'll be praying for that. Anything else before we, oh, Gladys.
0: Pray for healing for Stuart Davison.
1: He's still sick? I didn't realize he was still sick. Okay. Stuart Davison. Stuart's been sick with some kind of, they think it's like a was like a stomach flu or something, it's, but it's been weeks now, hasn't it? I, I just assumed he had gotten over it. No, okay. So let's be praying for Stuart. Susan.
0: Uh, Connor fell off of a ladder this week working on the house, so just pray for healing for him. He still has some slight headaches. I have the boys doing home repair for summer school, so. Ah.
1: You doing better? Connor, you doing better? How many fingers am I holding up? Just a joke. Let's pray that you feel better quickly. Anyone else? Okay, then um, if we could, uh, Duncan, would you mind taking us Uh, to the Lord, and prepare us to hear from Him and His Word.
0: Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can turn to You with every concern of our minds and hearts, uh, that You are concerned about matters on the world stage and of international conflict and travel from one side of the globe to another, and that You're also concerned about our individual lives and the small things in them. Lord, there is nothing that escapes your vision and indeed you are there for your people weaving and working all things together for your glory and for our good ultimately. Lord, we pray for those who are ill, uh, facing procedures or uh, one uh, test or another. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would give them comfort. Uh, those who have uh, had an accident or undergone uh, some sort of test, we pray that you would give them comfort and healing and strength. Uh, we remember... Uh, Those that are facing uh, children coming soon, and pray, O Lord, you would be near mothers uh, and their babies and the entire family. We thank you uh, for the blessing that they are to us. Uh, We do remember uh, those who go uh, with the feet and the arms and lips of evangelists uh, to declare your word. Uh, We pray particularly for the blands, that you would be near them, guard them, protect them. Uh, May they know your comfort and presence. Be with them, O Lord. We are not able to be, but we know that you are and that you will guard and protect. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, those that are uh, upset of heart and mind because of things happening or endangering their families. And we pray, O oh, Heavenly Father, that uh, Lori's co-worker would find comfort and encouragement in you and in you alone. And we do pray, O oh, Lord, for uh, the bigger things of this world that uh, involve uh, 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 trials and procedures and other matters that they would come out according to your glory and that you would weave them uh, to the betterment of society. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing not only upon these different aspects of our lives but also upon the preaching and ministry of your word now. Uh, Bless Fred as he opens your word to us. Uh, May our hearts be open. May uh, they be soft and malleable and good soil on which uh, to see these seed fall that they might bear much fruit in our lives. By the grace of your Holy Spirit, in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles
1: with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. It's been a little while since we've been in Colossians, and just to remind you, we last looked at verses 15 through 17 of chapter 1. We'll be looking this evening at verses 18 through 20, and this comprises one whole passage. It's even thought that uh, it may be evidence of an early Christian hymn describing the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And so what I would like to do is begin our reading this evening at verse 15 to give us the context through to verse 20. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would teach us, that you would change us, and that you would encourage us by it. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, this. Passage is often thought to be an ancient Christian hymn laying out how excellent the Lord Jesus Christ is. Some time ago we looked at the first part of this section, seeing the excellence of Jesus Christ in creation, and we saw that Jesus is excellent in that He is the revealer of the Father. And we saw that He is excellent in that He is the creator of all things. And we saw that He is excellent in that He is the sustainer of all things. And now in the second part of this passage, Paul turns to a smaller scope, but yet just as significant, perhaps we might argue more significant, in its purpose in God's plan. And that is that Paul is zeroing in on Jesus Christ in the church. If you can almost picture in your mind's eye the scope narrowing as the beginning of one of these movies where there's a huge panoramic shot of mountains and clouds and a sky and the camera begins whizzing through the scenery, barrowing down into till it finally focuses on a single object. That is what Paul is doing here. He wants to get our attention. And thinking about Jesus Christ in the church is important for us, but it is also a difficulty. Because you see we face the challenge of over-familiarity. Have you ever been so familiar with something that you really don't even remember the steps in doing it? Or you don't realize you're doing it at all? You know, this happens all the time in sports. Baseball players, for example, are so practiced in their swing, they are so focused in what they are to do, they are so learned in what is to occur that they forget exactly how they are to hold their elbow or where they are to hold the bat or how they are to swing and when they get in a slump it's difficult for them to get out of it because they can't remember the pieces and parts that make up the whole perhaps in a little bit more homemaking way you've had the opportunity to make your your favorite meal or to cook your bake your award-winning dessert and someone walks up to you and says, this is marvelous. How do I do this? What's the recipe? And you stop and you say to yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I put some salt in. I put some sugar in. I, I do flour. Well, how much? I don't know. I just do it. It becomes second nature. And I think this is the temptation for us in thinking about Jesus Christ in the church, especially as in this passage we see Jesus Christ perhaps most clearly in all of the Bible in one place described as prophet, priest, and king. If we think about the offices of Jesus Christ, what offices does Jesus have? Many of us from Sunday school days on can recite catechism questions and say that Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. But I think sometimes we forget what that actually means for us and how Jesus and acts those offices for our benefit in the church. So Paul will remind us of that this evening as he talks about Jesus in a little bit of a different order than we normally take it. First, he speaks of Jesus as the excellent king in the church. And then, he speaks of Jesus as the excellent prophet in the church. And then finally, he speaks of Jesus as the excellent priest in the church. King prophet, and priest. Let's begin then by looking here at verse 18. Jesus has just been described as the creator and sustainer of all of the universe. Everything that is in existence is in existence because Jesus decrees it to be so. And then Paul turns to this phrase. He says he's the head of the body, the church. He begins then to speak Not of cosmic things, but he moves to a more personal, relational context. He speaks of the church as the body of Christ. And this reminds us that the church is a living organism. It is not described as the great machine or the great organizational structure or the roadmap to anything. It is described in very personal, living terms as the body of Jesus Christ. And the connection that Jesus has with the church is shown in its whole view. You'll notice here there are no favorites played by Paul. There's no certain segment of the church or certain mission of the church that is set apart from others. No, he wants to talk about the entirety of the body of Christ. Now, why does Paul use this analogy? We think about the body of Christ, and it is, again, second-hand to us. We use the terminology all the time. But really, Paul does not use this analogy very often in the Bible. Here is, again, one of the most prominent places that he does this. And he is doing this, I think, here for a specific reason. If you'll recall back Many, many weeks ago, as we talked about the Colossian church and the difficulties that it was facing, it was a church set in a second-rate town, a town that never recovered from recession and depression. It was a church that was small and under attack, and one of the main attacks that was being made upon it was a separation of the physical from the spiritual. Those who were attacking the church and its doctrine to try and say there's no way that Jesus could have been alive as a man. There's no way He could have had a body because bodies are bad. Everything about the physical is bad. We need to leave the physical. And Paul says, as if to attack them head on, not only is the physical good, the church is the physical body of Christ. It is His manifestation and representation here on earth. It is also an excellent reminder to you and to me who's in charge. We had the opportunity and the blessing this morning to ordain men to office. There's a reason why elders are properly not called shepherds, but under-shepherds. A subcategory of shepherds. Those who are underneath the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason why our book of church order describes the only head and king of the church as Jesus Christ. Jesus runs His church. We do His will. We follow His agenda. We follow His pace. Jesus is the one who is the head of the church. And so our guidance, our instruction on how the church is to be run, what its mission is to be, and how we are to live comes from the lips of Jesus It does not come from a planning committee. It does not come from our best thoughts and intentions. Jesus Christ is the sovereign king of His church. He is the head of the body. And perhaps the most obvious reason as to why He is the head of the body is because He is the one who is worthy and deserving. Paul then begins to describe Jesus as the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Jesus is the beginning. The beginning of what, you might say? The beginning of the church. The beginning of God's ministry. The beginning of life. No, Jesus is the beginning. This Greek word is a very interesting word. If we are trying to separate out the preeminent prior element of something we put this word on it so for example you've heard of priests in the bible and you've heard of the high priest the difference between a priest and a high priest in terms of language is you take this word and you stick this word on the beginning of priest and you get high priest Jesus is the very beginning, the preeminence of all that is in existence. There is no rival to King Jesus. He is all in all. He is not just a beginning. He is the beginning. He is the origin of all that is in existence. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, just as we saw before, in calling Jesus the firstborn of all creation, that does not mean that He is merely the first among many. No, that means He is the progenitor of all of this. He is above all of this. So all who are born from the dead are only born from the dead because of Jesus. There is no potion. There is no magic elixir. There is no incantation that can bring one from the dead. There is only coming from Jesus. He is the firstborn from the dead. And He is also, in everything, the preeminent One. He is the One who begins all things. The very cause of the church's existence and all of its vitality is because of Jesus. We might think of it in the way in which there is a river, This word here that Paul uses is not just the word for head, it is also the word for source. And if we think about it, somewhere, I don't know where, perhaps you do, somewhere up, way up in the mountains are the beginnings of the Mississippi River. There is a source. And from that source flows all of the Mississippi, in all of its power and all of its glory. But there's a difference between Jesus as the source and the source of a river. For you see, the source of the Mississippi starts as a small trickle and begins to pick up speed and volume. But here, Jesus is the source. To use our example and illustration, it is a raging flood as a source. The river is most, most powerful at its source, not at its end. Jesus is the origin of all things. He is preeminent among all creation. This is something that has already been in existence. He will not be preeminent. He already is. Is this how you view Jesus Christ? You see, I think sometimes we think of the church and of Jesus, and we wonder when the day will come when it will achieve Eminence. That's a wrong way of thinking. Jesus Christ is already preeminent in all things. And it doesn't matter what the nations say, or what kings or princes say. Jesus is the excellent king in his church. Paul then goes on to describe in verse 19 another office of Jesus Christ. That of prophet He says, for in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the one who manifests the Father to the church. He is the prophet par excellence. He is the prophet from whom all other prophets gain their office and their message. Jesus is the one who speaks of the Father in the church. And notice here how Paul begins... He says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is an excellent prophet because it is the pleasure of the Father that he be disclosed to us. Jesus is delivering the will of the Father. The pleasure of the Father is that we might know who he is. We see this throughout the scriptures where Jesus is described in Isaiah 42 as the great suffering servant. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Jesus is the messenger that God has appointed to deliver the message of salvation to. We see this again In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has a conflict with the Pharisees over who is Lord of the Sabbath. And then He heals a man. And after Jesus has publicly ministered, God reveals once again that He is His chosen servant. Quoting from Isaiah 42, Behold, My servant whom I have chosen, My beloved with whom My soul is well The Father loves the Son and loves to be revealed in the Son. Do you remember what was said at Jesus' baptism as He embarked upon His ministry? Behold, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's the same thing that I our Heavenly Father said at the transfiguration. Jesus is the one who declares the will of the Father and the Father desires that we know it. Jesus doesn't just declare some things. Kids, have you ever walked into a conversation between mom and dad that was going on and something was said that piqued your interest and you started to ask questions and you got this for an answer? Oh, you don't need to worry about that. We're not talking to you. No, no. You don't need to know all these details. Your mother and I are having a conversation. And you thought to yourself, I wonder what that was. I wish I knew. Do you think I could ask again? Do you think they'll ever tell me? Right? Sometimes I think we view the way the Lord reveals Himself in that way. That He only wants to tell us the bare minimum. Just to keep us going along. That He keeps from us vital information that if we just had, our lives would be so much easier and better. But you see, Paul says it's the exact opposite. You see, Jesus Christ, who is the revealer of God Almighty, the triune God, He is the prophet who speaks. Jesus is the one who tells God of God in all His fullness. There is nothing that Jesus leaves back from us. He describes for us the Father in all of His fullness. The magnificence of God in our midst. Because you see, God fills the universe. There's almost no other way to put it. Not in a physical sense per se, but in the sense that He is present in all places. In Jeremiah 23, the Lord writes, Do I not fill heaven and earth? In Psalm 72, the psalmist says, Let the whole earth be filled with the glory of God. And perhaps one of the more famous passages in all the Scriptures, Isaiah 6 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you know what the next sentence is? The whole earth is filled with His glory. You see, Jesus Christ fills Fulfills for us the glory of God that would be beyond our comprehension. But it is revealed in Jesus. He perfectly reveals the Father to us. So that He can say, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. This is who Jesus is. The fullness of God dwells in Him presently. Jesus is not just a revealer on the pages of Scripture in the past, but He reveals today to us who God is. He is an excellent prophet. The last thing that we see in verse 20 is that Jesus is also an excellent priest. Paul says that it is through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now, this is the concept that Jesus Christ is a reconciler and that all things are reconciled through Him. And this is an important and critical biblical concept. But once again, I think it is something that we take for granted because it is not the the concept of reconciliation, does not leap off of every page in the Bible. There are key texts that describe for us how Jesus is reconciling His people to the Father using those exact terms. And here is a preeminent place that it is seen. It's also seen in Ephesians chapter 2. But here, Paul is describing for the church how they are right with God because of the work of Jesus. It is a distinctly Christian concept. There is no man-made religion that says that we can be reconciled to a deity through the work of another. Think about it. All other religions say if you want God to get along with you, to not crush you, to not destroy you, you have to do this laundry list of things and perhaps He will not destroy you. I've just described for you Islam. It is a religion of fear and depression in which a transcendent deity looks down on creation and decides that day or not whether to destroy them. But in Jesus, we find not only relief from destruction, we find not only a sentence that is remitted. We find great reconciliation and love as we are brought together in a family through the work of Jesus Christ. Do you notice what Paul says here? We are not only reconciled by Jesus, that is through Him, we are reconciled to Him. We are brought close to God through the work of Jesus. He becomes ours and we his. This is the work of Jesus. So, what is he doing here? What is he reconciling? Paul says he is reconciling to himself all things. This is a recreative event. Not recreation, but recreation. If we compare what Paul has written in verses 15 through 17, With here in verses 18-20, through we see that there is the same thing at work. Jesus is at work in the church to reconcile all that He has created to Himself. The creation groans under the effect of sin. And Jesus is working through the church to bring all things in reconciliation to the Father. And the way that He works is the church proclaims what He has done. It is Jesus' work to bring creation to Himself. And this kind of peace that we find is a long-lasting cosmic peace in which we are reconciled to the Father. This is not just persuasion or pacification. You know, the Romans knew a lot about making peace in the world. They would go in and they would conquer a people. And if anyone rebelled, they would make an example of them. If a town gave difficulties, they would crucify a few people. It's amazing how people will get along after that. And you see, what they would do is they would want just simply the absence of conflict. And they would use fear and depression to bring it about. But Jesus wants more for you than the absence of conflict. He wants more for you than a bare existence. He wants you to have a fullness of life. To have a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that draws you close in cords of comfort with God the Father. He wants you to be reconciled as children. Former enemies, but children of God. And how is it that He does this Well, He does it, Paul says, by the blood of His cross. There is no other way for reconciliation with God, except through the blood of Jesus. This is becoming more and more a doctrine that is hated in the world. A bloody religion. People can't understand or see why Jesus would have to die why God couldn't just clean the slate, why He couldn't just ignore the sin, why He couldn't just get along and go along. But you see, the truth is, we are separated from God eternally by our sin. And it is only by the blood of God Himself, Jesus Christ, that we can be brought near to God. The cross was not just a good idea. The cross was not just the best of possible suggestions. When God had determined in His plan and will to save a people, the cross of Jesus Christ became necessary. There was no other option for God. He consigned Himself to the cross. I know that sounds odd to think about, that God could do anything, and why would God have to do this? But you see, it was God's free will that chose to reconcile a people to Himself. And when He did, the atonement became necessary. God was required to do it. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we are brought close and reconciled with God. Well, what does Paul then advising us in conclusion as we think about the church and our life in the church. The first thing that we need to think about is that all of our life in the church and as individuals begins with reconciliation with Jesus Christ. Unless we have that, nothing else matters. Unless you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in His atonement, you have no need for a prophet. You have no need for For a king. You are outside the camp. And so we must begin with Jesus and His sacrifice. But if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our priest. As the atonement for our sins. Then we must have Jesus as the one who reveals to us constantly the will of God. Jesus Christ becomes our pleasure and love. Just as He is the Father's. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? Do you long to be with Him? Do you long to hear from Him? Imagine back in the days before you were married. And you were perhaps living apart from your loved one. And you would wait, count the moments, till you could get on the phone, And speak and hear words. It was a time to be with the person. And oftentimes the conversations wouldn't even be that substantive, right? It was just a matter of hearing the voice and the connection. That's the connection we should have with Jesus Christ. We should long to hear his words, we should long to be with him, to know who he is, to know that he is ours. To make Him all our delight and love. And then finally, is Jesus Christ your head and your King? Do you do what King Jesus says? Do you heed His commands? Do you trust Him to lead and to rule? Or are you constantly trying to put yourself on the throne of your life? There is no greater or better King than Jesus Jesus is our King, Jesus is our prophet, and Jesus is our priest. He is all in all in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that from the pen of your servant Paul, we can hear of the greatness. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask this evening that you would remind us that we are your servants, that we follow King Jesus, that he makes clear to us his commands, and that he constantly bathes us in the forgiveness that is found in his blood. This we ask in the name above all names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you please stand for the Lord's blessing. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.